Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. In this series, we'll be looking at a few familiar Christmas carols we sing and how they give us a deeper understanding of Christmas and ultimately point us to Jesus. Thanks for joining us this Advent season. So some of you are going to ask me why I'm sitting in a chair. And um, yesterday at the very Merry Christmas, I was using a crutch. And that's because um, on Wednesday, I had um, arthroscopic knee surgery. So I'm just trying to be careful because I tend to overdo it. So um, today we are in a series called Songs of Christmas. And if you weren't here last week, uh, Brian gave a great message on hope as we are looking at some of the different Christmas carols. Last week, we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and talked about how for years, 700 years before Christ came, God promised that through a virgin, he would bring redemption to us. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to Brian's message, I hope you will. Uh, By the way, aren't you thankful for Steve and Brian and Luke and just the teaching that our church family uh, receives? I just am so... I'm so grateful uh, to be part of a team like that and um, all our staff. And so, um, but today we're going to look at a different Christmas carol. We're going to look at O Come All Ye Faithful. And the word that I've been given, and we just saw it with the Advent, a wreath is the word love. And uh, if you look on the back of the notes, you'll notice there that I I put the words to the Christmas carol. We're going to sing it later in the service. But I, I just a little background, um, I've been noticing as I've been studying the Christmas carols myself this year, that a lot of them came out of Europe. And they came out of the 17, 1800s, early 1900s. And we don't know exactly where uh, this uh, tune originated, um, but it, there's a very good chance that it was a part of a tune called Adeste Fidelis. And um, I've listed that there at the bottom in Latin, and it just means come faithful ones. And uh, eventually, a guy named John Francis Wade um, is often attributed, there's other people that have been given credit, but attributed for taking the tune and the lyrics in Latin. Then in the 1800s, a guy named Frederick Oakley came along and, and translated them to the words that we sing often now at Christmas time in English. And so I could talk a lot more about that, but let me just say, here's the thing I want to do today. I want to just focus in on the one phrase, O come, let us adore him. So if you turn your notes back over, as we think about this whole idea of love, God's love, and how it affects us, um, if you're following along, I hope you'll see today again in a fresh way that God shows his love by sending Jesus that first Christmas. Again, if you're following along, God shows his love his great love by sending Jesus that first Christmas. One of Jesus' disciples, John, wrote this several years later when he was trying to describe what really happened beginning at Christmas. And it's found in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. If you look at these words on the screen, this is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Aren't you grateful for his great love for us? And the question becomes is, what do we do with that love? 
Does that love get a response out of us? When we talk about, oh, come, let us love and adore him, what do we mean? And so if you're following along, I want you to notice that some ignore while others adore Jesus that first Christmas. Some ignore and others adore Jesus that first Christmas. I, in, my, in my mind, I've had kind of a spectrum. There's ignore over here and there's adore over here. And years ago, someone helped me understand. In fact, maybe it was when I was standing in a mall and it said, you are here on those maps. You know what I'm talking about? That I just was able to orient myself so that if I was going to head to a certain store, I at least knew where I was. And so in a way, I just want to ask you as we start today, where are you? Are you closer to ignore or are you closer to adore? Um, The word ignore means to fail to give proper attention to, to forget, to overlook. Uh, The word adore means, it, it actually comes from the Latin word worship, but it means to love someone deeply and a lot, uh, very deeply, to love someone very deeply. And so are you closer to ignore or adore this Christmas? Where's your starting point? Uh, when I was a kid, we played a game. Uh, some of you may call it hot and cold. Uh, I don't know if you play this, but someone would hide something. It's a lot of times it was a teacher. And then they would uh, just give you clues that your job was to find whatever they hid. And the way that they helped you is that as you started moving in a certain direction, they'd say, you're getting warmer or you're getting colder. You're getting, you're getting warmer. You're getting very hot. You're getting that kind of thing. You're, getting, you're freezing. You know, they would tell you. And so you knew you kind of move your way. And I guess what I want to ask you is, when you think about adoring Jesus, are you getting warmer? Or are you getting colder? I've walked with Jesus long enough now <laughs> that I've seen, my, I've seen my life go like this. I used to think that if I followed Jesus, it'd just be up and to the right. I would just keep growing. But I've noticed that my love for him can sometimes get colder My love sometimes can get warmer. It can get really hot. And I think that as we think about Jesus this Christmas season, what would it look like if all of us come and adore him? So would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at our text with the shepherds and uh, see what God wants to teach us today. Lord, you know me inside and out, and you know that um, I have every, everything to learn about this myself. And so as I teach on this today, I thank you that you're a good teacher. I thank you for the gifted skill of the Holy Spirit who can come to every seat. And I thank you that you decided to love us before we were lovable. And you have set your heart on us. Show us how to set our heart on you. In your name we pray, amen. So as we look at um, the, the notes today, I just want to warn you that, you know, sometimes when I put these notes together, you're not going to believe this, but sometimes they're flawed, okay? So in that first gray box, you'll notice that it's going to say, let go. It's actually supposed to say, let's go. Can you mind fixing that before we read it aloud in just a little bit? Because I don't want you to think that all the shepherd said was, let go. They actually said, let's go, okay? All right, so... I'll read the first few verses in starting with verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, they said to one another, now you mind reading the gray box with me? We'll try and get it right. Okay. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, the baby who was lying in a manger. So if we're thinking about the first witnesses of Jesus arrival and looking at how they adored him, let's just notice some things together. So if you're following along first, notice shepherds meet Jesus the day he's born in Bethlehem. Shepherds do. Shepherds meet Jesus the very day he was born in Bethlehem. Remember what the angel said? Today, in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. And so we read that they, they, you know, they go see him that very same day. And when we think about this, I don't know if your heart stops on the word shepherds. But if you were in that first century, it would have. Here's how a reader would have probably read it in those days. Shepherds, they would have really been surprised. You see, friends, now think about someone that lives outside all the time, that never comes in. They're clothes. They live with animals all the time. If you've ever been around someone who, who has, you, you find yourself at least feeling some distance, some difference. But also, uh, they were not allowed, as time went on, I know that David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But in those days, shepherds were actually considered second-class citizens. They were considered, you know, kind of low on the work scale as far as esteem. They were not allowed to give a testimony in the court of law. They were not allowed to go into the temple or the synagogue. And they were often... People looked at them suspiciously because some people thought of them as thieves. They thought they had some of the sheep because they had, quote unquote, borrowed them from others. So they were just not thought of. But God shames the wise and chooses things in the world that flip everything upside down. And this Christmas, Jesus was saying, No one is too low for me to come to them. And when I think about announcing the birth of the most important person in the world, I'm going to entrust it to the shepherds. And no one was more shocked or terrified than the shepherds. But boy, were they glad he chose them. And notice this, if you're following along, that an angel shares the news of Jesus and the shepherds hurry to see if you're following along. An angel shares the news of Jesus and the shepherds hurry to see. I cannot, I've never met an angel yet. I know I'm gonna, 
but I can imagine what happened. And they just said, when this angel showed up, just can you imagine some of the glory that even an angel has? And when the angel showed up, the, the, the shepherds, they were just kind of like probably chatting and just paying attention to the sheep. The sheep might've been uh, bleeding or sleeping or whatever, but all of a sudden it just lights up the day. And so they, when they, this all happens, they get this incredible announcement. The angel then is joined with a company of angels. And, and what do the shepherds do? They look at each other and say, let's go, not let go, let's go. And they hurry to see him. They hurry. That's incredible. They hurry. They don't, they don't wait. They hurry. Now, let me notice another thing with me, if you would. Uh, I'll read verses 17 and 18. It says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. Notice this, that after seeing him, the shepherds spread the word about Jesus. Now, again, they weren't allowed to give a testimony in the court of law, but that didn't stop them from saying, you're not going to believe what just happened to us and what we just witnessed. We just saw the Messiah in a feeding trough. And I imagine that some of the people, it says, it later says the people that heard this were amazed. I think they were amazed for two reasons. One, what are you doing telling me you're a shepherd? And two, that's a pretty incredible message that a Messiah would be in a manger. But they were amazed and, and they, they spread the word. Friends, let me just say this to you. This is still the way God does it. If you know about Jesus, it's because someone spread the word to you. And guess what? Somebody may come to know Jesus because you spread the word to them. Still the coolest way. Now, notice this, if you're following along, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. I love this verse. If you're following along, I didn't get very creative. I just said, Mary treasures up and ponders in her heart all that's said of Jesus. Mary treasures up and ponders in her heart all that's said of Jesus. What does this mean? It means that she held on to this. She prized it. She cherished all that was being told to her. And then it means that she thought about it carefully. She, she went over and over and over what the shepherds told her. And as she's thinking about all this, as she's holding her newborn child, she's thinking about that and she's chewing on it and she's thinking about it. Now, um, let me just put yourself in Mary's shoes, if you would, with me. An angel had come to her and told her that though she was a virgin, she was going to conceive that was a big enough message to take on in itself, a miracle message. But then also she probably was misunderstood because she was a virgin and wasn't married yet. She was probably deeply misunderstood in her village and by some, even some of her family. So then to have shepherds come and say, hey, here's how we found you. We were told exactly how to find you and your son. And we have been told that he's the Messiah He's our savior. He's the Lord. And he's going to help us. I imagine that was so affirming to her when her whole world, when her legs had been cut out from underneath her, as far as her own confidence, she had had to learn to really lean into God. And this must've really encouraged her, but she treasured up and she pondered them and thought, Oh God, your ways are so different than my ways. How you are going about things is blowing my mind. And she pondered them in her heart. 
Now notice verse 20. It says, the shepherds return glorifying. In fact, you can read that with me. I, I think I even printed this right on the third gray box. Let's read it together. The shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So returning home, if you're following along, the shepherds glorify and praise God for Jesus. The shepherds glorify and praise God for Jesus. You know, these shepherds, some of us, I don't know if you've thought about this, but it's always seemed easier, I think, for women to praise and glorify Jesus than men. I don't know why that is, and I'm not saying it's always that way, but it just seems like us men, there's a little bit of a halting or a hesitation or even, well, that's just for people that are, you know, like children and other people that are, you know, but these guys, they were unashamed of Jesus. And when they heard this, they came back glorifying and praising God. C.S. Lewis once said this about praise, because here's the truth. We all praise, but look at what he says. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Some of you like football and you're going to be praising this afternoon. Why not praise the one who gave himself for us? And the shepherds do that. Now, these are the first witnesses. And the question becomes, if that's what it looks like to adore him, what does it look like for us to adore him as we wait for the second arrival of Jesus? And um, as we think about this, I I just want to just stop for a second and, and ask the question, why don't we adore Jesus? Why don't I? I was thinking about this this week. I think sometimes it's because I have been, my, my parents were incredibly precious Christians. So are my grandparents. Some of you heard me talk about this before. In fact, some of you are tired of hearing me talk about this before. But what I would say is this, is that because I've been around it my life, oh, my life, I can begin to take it for granted. His great love for me. And therefore, my adoring meter goes down. But there's other times that the reason why we don't adore him is because we don't actually believe that we need his great love. Bruce Steelman said this years ago, I came across a collection of letters that children wrote to Santa Claus. Some of them were pretty good. One said, dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. You did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance. Signed, Alfred. My favorite went like this. Dear Santa, there are three boys who live at our house. There is Jeffrey, he is two. There is David, he is four. And there is Norman, he is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good some of the time. But Norman is good all of the time. I am Norman. (laughs) But we aren't Normans. We aren't even close to Normans. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we need a savior. 
I only have to live 24 hours to see what's in my heart, to know that if Jesus had not come, I would be lost. I would be so far short of the purpose that he made me for. But he came. I'm so glad he came. And so how do we adore him? Um, I I mentioned about my surgery, and again, I don't want to make too much of that, but I guess I want to just tell you that I had a reminder uh, on Wednesday when the anesthesiologist came in before surgery and was just telling me a little bit about what was going to happen. And I remember thinking in my mind, you know, how will I know when that anesthesia works? And all I want to say is propofol is so powerful that when it gets in your bloodstream, you know. Actually, you're not even conscious, and that's why you know it's working. You see, some things are so powerful that when they get in your bloodstream, you cannot stay the same. And if you and I have really been affected by the great love of God, it will show. You cannot really experience the love of God without being affected. And so what would it look like? What does it look like? Like the shepherds, like Mary, when they were affected by the love of God. What would it look like if you and I are affected freshly by the love of God this Christmas season? I just want to mention three ways that I noticed from the text. The first one, you can ask this question of yourself is, are we obeying him? And without great delay. Are we obeying him and without great delay? Jesus said this to his disciples the night before he went to the cross in John 14. Some of you have seen this before. He says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. You know, translated, if you love me, obey me. And then he goes on in verse 23 and 24 and says, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. And I've noticed this about myself. I've noticed when I don't want to obey God is because I don't really love him as much as I love myself or love something else. I'm loving something else more than loving him when I do what I want to do that's not his will. And when I say that, you know, I can't help something like that, a lot of times I'm just, I'm not really telling the truth because I, here's what I've learned. You get around to what you want to get around to. And when you and I love Jesus, we get around to what he wants us to get around to with his help. Again, it's not because we're so great. It's because his love is so great and it's affecting us. It's getting into our bloodstream. And then notice that without delay, one of the ways that you and I learn how we're maturing in our love and adoration of Jesus is how long it takes for us to obey him. Now, again, I'm talking to you in real time now. I had some times this week where I noticed the delay was still pretty long and he's loved me really well. And like, what that, what's that about? But at least gave me a heart check. I said, Lord, If you love me like that, show me how to love you back without delay. Like the shepherds, they hurried. They they went right away. You told me about it. Okay, let's go. And to have that kind of spirit. Um, The second question is, are we cherishing and chewing on what Jesus has said, what's said of Jesus? 
Are we cherishing and chewing? That's the way I interpreted treasuring and pondering. Are we cherishing and chewing on what's said of Jesus? Colossians 3.16 says this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. So how do we do this? Uh, some of you know that for years when I was lead pastor, we just would do a Bible challenge every year in December. I would just challenge you, look, in some way, how is the word of God going to be part of your life each day? Jesus said, we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the question is, is what are you and I feeding on? What's our intake look like with the word of God each day? My, my mentor said to me years ago, you cannot be deeply influenced by that which you do not know. And there is so much biblical illiteracy, even in the church, even in my own life sometimes. But the way that we turn that around is we begin to at least chew on at least one Bible verse every day about Jesus or the Christian life. And that's possible even for busy moms or people that are going every which way. You and I can ponder, we can cherish, we can chew on. Uh, I was thinking about this, that my high school leaders challenged me when I was in high school, my wife and I, we were dating then, to memorize 60 Bible verses that had to do with the Christian life. And this week, 50 years later, 45 years later, all of a sudden I heard Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by trust in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And all of a sudden, just by cherishing that, chewing on that, it stirred, it refreshed my love for God. It reminded me, he loved me and gave himself for me. Even though I have blown it this week, even though I have disappointed him, even though I'm sure I've fallen short of obeying him without delay, oh God, renew and rekindle my love for you. The third thing is, are we ever praising him with our own mouths? Are we ever praising him with our own mouths? Um, Psalm 145 is a great psalm. And uh, here's how it starts. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. In other words, by the way, this is never going to go out of style. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. And uh, friends, it goes on in verse 7 and says, I will sing your praise. And then in verse 21, do we have Psalm 145, verse 21 there as well? Um, I think that's what it is. Lord, let every creature praise his holy name. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. My mouth, with my mouth. Now look at Psalm 89.1. I've listed that out to the right of the notes too. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. 
I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Can I ask you a question? How much praise is God getting from you? You praised him lately? Do you understand what praise does? Because if you think that he's insecure and he just needs your praise, it's not true. He knows who he is. The reason why he wants us to praise him is because as we praise him, it actually makes us bigger people. It fills us with his greatness. It helps us know. And he wants us to know the power of praising him. You and I become what we praise. And so he wants us to praise him like that. And I don't know about you, but when I think about Paul and Silas praising him in the dungeon, in the prison cell, and the power that was released when they began to praise him and they began to sing to him, the same thing can happen in your life and mine. And one of the ways we adore him is by singing. And can I just say, if you're in our church family and you never sing, can I just invite you that if you love the Lord, you're not going to probably be able to hold that in much longer because the love's just going to get in your bloodstream and you're going to sing to him. Even if you say, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's ears around me, but I want to praise him with my mouth and God will help you with that. So here's the question. How do we adore him? What does that mean? So I started by asking that question. Let me kind of bring it home. If someone were to ask me what it means to adore him, it means to give myself back to him. You know, a relationship is two-way. So if you and I have a relationship with Jesus, we already have talked about that God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came for us. That's why he landed here on earth, not just to be born, but to come and redeem us from the curse of, the, of our sin and from the fallenness of our nature. And so he's come. But what does that mean to look like if we respond back? How do we, let me ask this question. Do you think Jesus wants to be loved back? Do you think it matters to him when, if you love him back or not? Some of us go, well, he doesn't need it, but he wants it. And he wants to have a relationship. That's what he came to restore. And what would it look like if you and I love him back as imperfectly as we're gonna? Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show the power belongs to God, not to us. But what would it look like if you and I just began to grow in our adoration and adoring him and loving him this Christmas? What would it look like if you gave yourself back to him? I'll just tell you a quick story. I told this story a number of years ago. Maybe some of you remember this. Uh, I was thinking about it this morning as I was getting ready. My wife said to me years ago, she said, Jeff, um, because of all of the caulking around the shower, would you mind wiping down the shower every time after you use it? And I remember thinking to myself, this is just how godly I am. I said, uh, in my heart, I remember thinking, I don't really think that's necessary. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. I actually just ignored her. You know what I'm saying? And I would just, once in a while, I'd maybe dab a few spots. But I wouldn't wipe down the whole shower and stuff like that. And so um, one day she noticed that I wasn't doing that. And um, she said, Jeff, it would really mean a lot to me if you would wipe down the shower. It'll actually make things last longer and then we won't have to recock and all that stuff as often. And would you just mind taking care of that? And I, I remember thinking, okay. And again, it was, I really threw my heart into it, can you tell? And so I remember that, that I, when, when she would ask me to do that, I would go like this. It was very mechanical, very like, you know, okay. 
There was no heart in it at all, but I was doing it. I just wasn't doing it out of love. One day, as Trish was, she wasn't even home, and I was wiping down the shower, uh, God said, uh, Jeff, do you, do you love me? I go, um, <laughs> I, I think so. I want to, Lord. And he goes, um, do you love Trish? I said, well, you know, yeah, I, mean, I married her. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love her. He says, why do you wipe down the shower differently? And all of a sudden, I realized that if I did it because I love Jesus and gratitude for his love to me, I would do it. So I started, I started really throwing myself into it. In fact, one day, weeks later, Trish goes, wow, you're like going way beyond what I asked. And I, I didn't know how to explain it, but I just remember thinking, if you love me, Jesus says, then you'll, you'll do the things I ask you to do, the different heart. Does that make sense? So as we bring this home, let me just throw out a prayer to you. Lord Jesus, I want to love you back with all my heart. And I just want to make sure you understand this. This is not a way to get God to love you. In fact, look at 1 John 4.19, if you would, uh, on the screen here. And you mind reading it with me? In fact, I think Ruby read it when we were doing the Advent reading. Let's read it together. We love because he first loved us and because his love is getting into our bloodstream. And when that happens, all kinds of things can happen. So let me just review real quick. So last Sunday, I had the privilege of being out at First Baptist Church of Waverly. And um, Dennis and Barb are in this service here and their family. Uh, Dennis, for the last 14 years, um, has been the pastor at that church. And he preached his last message there. And now uh, I'm so glad Dennis and Barb are back with us. And in fact, they're here today in the worship service. And Dennis' message, I took lots of notes and I was reviewing them this week and he just said, Christians are people who really love Jesus. And then he said, can people tell by the way you live that you really love Jesus? I thought that was just so well put and I thought, and by the way, it would also fit really great in my sermon that next Sunday. So, But then yesterday... I was out here in the room getting instructions about how to do the very Merry Christmas. And Jenny Elliott stood up in front of us. And here's how she started the morning, at least for the first shift. We're here because we love Jesus. (laughs) And I remember thinking, that's right. We're not here because we're so amazing, but because we have been loved with a great love. We've been adored. And now we want to adore him by the way that we care for the people that he loves and cares for that are overlooked and oftentimes underappreciated. And then Olivia Hayes, the director of the James Project, also came up and she just said, you know, again, this isn't because we're so amazing. It's because we've been loved so well. And now what we want to do, God, help us to steward your love well to these people. And so I just think that this Christmas, if we desire to adore him, God's going to help us. He really is going to help us. And can you imagine what it would look like in our homes when we get it wrong and the love of Jesus freshly fills us? And so we go, okay, now I know because he's loved me. Now I can go back and apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't 
steward his love well to me, to you. I want to, I, I did not treat you the way he wanted me to treat you. Would you forgive me? We can go to other people. We can be generous this Christmas because he's been generous with us. We can look at our world with hope and with love because he's looked at our world with hope and love to us. So we're going to sing this carol now. And I hope that as you sing it, that when we get to that part, oh, come, let us adore him, that you'll put your heart behind it and you'll love him and you'll praise him and you'll thank him because he came. He didn't have to come, but he came. Aren't you glad? Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.